We've been going through this series on the amazing uh, facts about the tongue, or, or a series that we call words. And and like Curtis, you know, what when we started this series, uh, one of the things that I said because I kicked it off at the Plainview campus was that uh, there there are uh, things that you do because you've mastered it. You're actually you feel like you're a disciple, and you write something out of your out of your strength. In other words, this is something I've taken from Scripture, and I've actually applied it to my life, and so. I can speak somewhat as an authority here because I've already worked through this. But this is not one of those sermon series. This one is totally done by faith. Amen? Because the deal is, is that, you know, I'm with Curtis. I'm doing this by faith because I'm having to apply it as we go. And I've found that to be somewhat difficult. Now, James chapter 1, chapter, uh, James chapter 3, excuse me, verse 1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that is such we will incur a stricter judgment for we all stumble in any ways but if anyone does not stumble in what he says he's a perfect man or he's mature teleos and able to bridle the whole body uh, as well so if any man gets gets uh, gets this thing harnessed then it becomes an amazing tool for him it, it's something that can set the course of of a man or a woman or, or, or a family's life and so i'm always reminded when Peter preached his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, and not verse 4, but after they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they run out into the city. There's this incredible noise and wind and fire and, and stuff that goes on, and all these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter walks out and, and gives a sermon uh, to this whole huge group of people. And over and over and over again, he uses the power of reason to speak and to preach his sermon. He quotes the scripture back and forth, back and forth. He goes as he preaches the sermon. And so one of the things that this does is that it births this 3,000 people into the church through the power, not just of feeling, but the power of reason, the power of truth. And what happens to us many times in the church is, is that we wind up being, as well as in the world, just the people who live and do life by feelings rather than understanding that feelings come and go and feelings don't last and that truth is something foundational that all of us have to be able to grab a hold of or at will become subject to every wind or every doctrine or everything that comes along the pipes and blows us through. So here's the deal. Sometimes obedience is better than sacrifice. And in this case, and in this case, let's just walk in obedience. We started week one by saying our words are eternal and that by our words we'll either be condemned or we'll be justified. That our, worlds, our words have this ability to create a world of iniquity. In other words, iniquity are those thin things, those areas that we actually... Uh, are sinful in, they're, they're areas that we're bent towards, and our words can create iniquity in our families, and it can pass it from generation to generation to generation. Anger, angry words, hateful words, bitter words. Unloving words. Condemning, critical, judgmental words can become something that creates iniquity in families, and that gets passed on from generation to generation to generation. We learn that first week that words don't disappear they're eternal and the only thing that you're going to take to heaven most likely is your character and possibly you know your thoughts and your memories 
but your words will arrive there before you get there. That's just the Bible. I didn't write that. That's just what the Scripture says. Our words are eternal. So words don't disappear. They don't, di they don't, they don't evaporate. So, so the further you get away from those words, great. I know you may be feeling better about yourselves, but, but here's how you can tell the effect of words is how do they make other people feel? And way down the road, someone may have forgotten what they said to you, but you still remember what those words said to you and how they felt to you. And that's, that's problematic. And we face that all the time because we live in a fairly verbal culture in which we get verbalized on and we verbalize on people. And at some point, you know what? It's good to us for us to forgive and clean the slate. Amen? Otherwise, those things don't disappear and they don't go away. And then week two, we talked about the ten deadly sins of the tongue and they're deadly and so I, I was at the Lubbock campus this last week and I, I, I preached that and I said we're going to sprint through these I want to spend as least possible time as possible on each one of these reason being is because I had most of them <laughs> so it's better to get through real quick and get to the solution rather than focus on the problem amen come on church I mean, like I said, we're going to run through this. And we did. I think I did that sermon in 32.5 minutes, which is record territory for me. So the 10 deadly sins, lying, discord, dissension. So here's, the, here's the amazing thing about discord and dissension. I, I, I believe it's probably the enemy's number one tool against families, organizations, churches, and nations. You know, when God called Israel out of Egypt and established them in their promised land as a nation, He meant for that place to become the, the centerpiece of His work on this earth. He, he meant for Israel to become where the voice of God was heard cl with clarion precision throughout the whole world. They were to be the spokespeople for God. And he established that. Do you know what tore that country apart? Dissension and discord. They consumed themselves from the inside out. It wasn't their enemies. It wasn't their enemies. They always knew how to handle their enemies. It was what happened to them from the inside out. Same thing happens today. It's happening in this nation right now. And we find ourselves a party to that all the time. We're either left or we're right, or we're right or we're wrong, or we're, you know, in between. Amen? And we live in a nation that, that's divided almost, almost in half. And somehow we do not believe the Bible where it says that a house divided will not stand. So, somehow we just uh, categorically, based upon our whims, just forget Scripture. Forget truth. We don't, we don't take that thing as foundational. And we just sit here and become party to something that's tearing us apart. Ten deadly sins. Discord, contention, gossip, slander, tail-bearing. So I had my associate person come to me and said, Pastor Paul, I think I'm a tail-bearer. <laughs> I said, great. Just repent, all right? I don't want to hear about it. 
I'm afraid she was going to tell me a tale. But anyway, cursing, blasphemy, filthy talk, contentious speech, and then, of course, unbelief, which comes out of our mouths all the time. Man, just listen to how much unbelief comes out of your mouth. So this morning, this morning, amazing facts about the tongue. Amazing facts about the tongue. A tongue is a fire. This is James again. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members. That means your body. As that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. So somehow, Satan, hell, has this ability to fire up our tongue. So amazing fact number one. The tongue is disproportionately powerful. James 3.3 says, Now if we put the bits in the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Meaning that if I can get a bit in a horse's mouth, I can get it to obey me. In other words, go the direction that I want it to go, right? 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 Amen. So if I can get it to go in the direction I want it to go, that means I've harnessed its power for my benefit. Right? Okay. So I can only get it to go in the right direction. I get its strength to take me there faster. Same thing with the tongue. So he, he says, that, he says that, uh, that if we put bits, so this little bit has the ability to control this huge, powerful horse. Verse 4, look at the ships also. They are great and are driven by strong winds and are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See how great of a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. So James uses these three analogies, a horse with a bit. And by the way, a wild horse is powerful and it's beautiful, but it, it, it's not good for you. Amen? James chapter 1, verse 26 says, uh, again, I'm going to quote this, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his own tongue, but deceives his own heart, and this is what always bothers me about myself, that do, do I really have the potential to deceive myself? I do. I do. I, I'm prone to self-deception. I'm prone to spinning things the way I want to spin them. I'm prone to seeing things the way I want to see them, and then that comes out of my mouth because I'm going to try to manipulate direct through my tongue. So Paul, so excuse me, the, the, the writer here, James, uses these three amazing analogies to explain that the tongue is disproportionately powerful. Big ship, come on, big ship, small rudder, right? Big ship, small rudder. Big forest gone because of little spark. Disproportionately powerful. Your tongue is disproportionately powerful to everything else in your life. And here's the deal. Like a ship's rudder, it can take you in the wrong direction. But here's also the deal. The rudder can see you through a storm. By holding its course. Disproportionately powerful. Amazing fact number two. The tongue is inherently evil. 
That's awesome, isn't it, Pastor Paul? This is good news this morning. James 3, verse 6 says, The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members, that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species, species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and a deadly poison. So, so, so here's your tongue is inherently adverb, right? We're going to add, this verb is going to add to the meaning. Inherently evil. My tongue is. I'm going, oh, come on, Lord. Look, look you don't have to teach your children to be mean, do you? Come on, church. Do you have to teach? No, you have to teach those kids how to be good, right? Because they are inherently evil. They beat up their little brothers. Right? Or sisters. Or vice versa. You know, the sisters beat up the brothers if they're older. I, I, had, I had six, no, four female cousins that were several years older than me that were meaner than junkyard dogs when I grew up. They put the fear of cousins in me. They painted my toenails red one time. I swore. They would pay. <laughs> but you know what? I love those cousins. <laughs> Amen. So, so it's inherently evil. That's its default setting. It's just its defaults. It's, see, it's, it's a world of iniquity. Its default is to create iniquity. And iniquity are those places that our lives are just naturally bent, bent towards. Have you ever noticed how, how you're just naturally bent towards some things that are evil, critical, judgmental? You see her at church this morning? You see what she had on? My God. I wouldn't wear that to a rooster fight. Right? Right? It's none of your business what anybody has on in this room. It's just inherently evil. It, it just defaults to the... To, 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 to criticism and, and, and critiquing it, it defaults to, to, to the worst. How many are liking this so far? Yeah, I know, it's ugly, isn't it? Let's just kind of run through the rest of this. How about that? Amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. Amazing fact number three, it is humanly untamable. For every species of beast and birds and of reptiles, you didn't believe this, but it's in the Bible. Every species of beast and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame his tongue. Tame the tongue, excuse me. No, no one can tame the tongue. That's amazing. Isn't it? You know, I, I, w I wish words were like, like fishing lures that you could reel them in as just as fast as you wanted to and nothing can bite. But most of the time we toss them out there and before we know it, something bit. Amen? It's not, everything in this world is tameable and yet the tongue is humanly 
untamable. You know that you can promise yourself you won't say dumb things and then you do what? You ever tried to stop cussing? Yeah, that takes work, doesn't it? Right. Okay, number four. That's an amazing fact. I'm going to give you some good news in a little bit. We're just going to get through these first. Amazing fact number four. The tongue is, this is amazing to me. It's productive both negatively and positively. Verses 9 through 12. With it, with our tongue, we did what we just did a while ago. We blessed the Lord. And with it, we curse people. Ay, 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 ay. It's, it, it's productive. Your tongue is productive. Negatively and positively. With it, we bless our Lord, and with it, we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, Come on, nature itself doesn't, there's nothing in nature that does this. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, this is, this is, this is James, the brother of Jesus. He says, this shouldn't be this way. It ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh? What he's saying is that that there's no place in nature that can do what your tongue can do. So by volume, your tongue is product productive both negatively and positive. Not even in nature itself is nature anywhere able to pull this off. So what the tongue can do is not natural. It's unnatural. So four amazing facts about the tongue. Disproportionately powerful. Inherently evil, humanly untamable, and contrastingly productive. Wow. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, Life and death, death and life, are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So life and death, where are they? Where's, where's life and death? It's in your tongue. In your tongue. So, so either you're going to speak and bring life today or you're going to speak death and bring death today. It's in your tongue. We've been given this rare insight into the human dynamic. We've given this rare insight by the Word of God where it says, Man, life and death are in the power of your tongue. And although it's humanly untamable, it is divinely conquered. Here's the truth today. You have to submit your tongue to the Spirit of God. We must submit our tongue and our hearts to the watchful eye of the Holy Spirit. Here, here, here's one of the things that I've learned to do. You know, we've said this at Harvest for many, many years. I've learned to pause, ponder, and pray before I speak. Not always. Again, I'm going to tell you right now, some of this I'm doing by faith because I, I can be productive negatively and positively. 
And, and I know all of you guys that, are, that, that somehow or you're not going or willing to say it, but you're thinking it in your heart. Probably in a whole lot of difference. It's still in you. Amen? So, we've learned to pause, ponder, and pray before I speak. What am I doing? I'm, I'm submitting this to the Holy Spirit. I'm saying, God, work on me before I say something here. Isn't it interesting to you that in the book of Acts, every time someone received the Holy Spirit, they did one of two things? They either spoke in tongues or they prophesied. That's an interesting fact to me, that somehow God says, I want to redeem your tongue, so I'm going to give you some tongues. So why don't you speak in tongues? I have people, I don't want to speak in tongues. Well, maybe you should, because your English is killing me. <laughs> it's killing you. Amen? So, so we say, well, why? What's a good, there's no good reason to speak in tongues. Yeah, it might get you to shut up your English for a while. Get some redemption going in your life. So, so this is the truth. Go look at it. When they got filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, they did one of two things. They spoke in tongues or prophesied. Here's what we could do. When we learn how to pause, ponder, and pray, we can use those moments to walk away from death and walk into life. And how are we doing that? By, by disrupting our automatic response to life. What did we say? The, t the tongue is inherently evil. So it's going to inherently respond the wrong way. What are we doing? We're disrupting that. We're taking time to disrupt that. And so what are we doing? Well, we're going to learn how to love life. We have to learn to submit our tongue. Here's a great prayer that David prayed. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Great, great prayer. You could pray this every day. Just You could put it on your whatever you put scriptures on. Lord, let the words of my mouth and what I think on today, what I think on, let it be acceptable in your sight. And, and I, want, I want to tell you something. There, there is great hope in this passage of Scripture because David makes this appeal at the end of it. He says, he says, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's saying, God, you have the ability because you're my redeemer. You're the one who takes my life and all those places that I've offended with my life and you're able to redeem those. You know, Lord, you're my rock. You are the thing that's most solid in my life. You're my rock. There's great hope in this passage of Scripture. Would you stand with me? So let me make an appeal to you, not for the sake of having a lot of people come up here to the altar, but for the sake of you and the sake of people like me. The Bible says this. It says where two or more will agree as touching something on this earth, my Father and I will get to work on it in heaven. 
where two or more agree as touching anything on this earth, it shall be done in heaven. And that's, that's one of the ways we learn how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So for your sake, my sake, if this could be a divine moment for you to agree with someone, one of these couples, one of these individuals here, and say, you know what? Uh, I, I've been sinned against or I have sinned with. Lord, there's areas that my tongue is productive. You don't even have to get religious about this in any form or fashion, and you don't have to be concerned about what anyone thinks in here because that really isn't what's important today. It's not, the fear of man is a snare. It, it keeps us, it traps us from getting from God what we really need to get from God today or making that contact with the divine that we need to make today. It's a snare. And so none of us should be afraid of anything here today other than the fact that somehow we don't make an advancement in this thing of learning how to submit our tongue to the Holy Spirit. And there's no shame. There's no shame in responding to God. So bow your heads with me. And pause a moment and ponder what's in your heart today. What's in my heart, Lord? What's been coming out of my mouth on a continual basis? What I, what I hear coming out of my mouth? And Holy Spirit, come. Come, Lord. And free us, Lord, today. Lord, it's not humanly tameable, but it's divinely conquered. Come and conquer, Lord, that part of us that does things that are amazing, but not kingdom. And Lord, we want to choose life today, not death. In Jesus' name, amen.